Hi, I'm Pastor Roger Brown. God has gifted me the pleasure to pastor a dynamic, spirit-filled church called Life Changers Church International right here in Pittsburgh, Kansas. I believe God will use this sermon to impact your life and bring His greatness out of you. Man, I hope you get something out of this that will change your life. God bless you. Your time is very important. So I'm going to get right to the message. Have a wonderful day. Praise God. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me. If you, you would, we're just going to go straight to the Word of God. Hallelujah. We're going to go to Proverbs chapter 25, verse number 2. When you get it, just stand to your feet for the reverence and the Word of God. Proverbs 25, verse 2. I'm also going to take you to 1 Chronicles chapter 11, verse 22. But let's go to Proverbs 25 and 2. And then we can go there in just a minute. Amen. I'm excited about what God's doing in your life. Amen. I tell you, it is one of those things as we begin to move uh, further in our walk with God, things just begin to happen and take place. And when God begins to show you something in your life that is significant, it's always going to come with a fight. Look at your neighbor and say, that's why I fight all the time. <clears throat> if you're fighting all the time, it means you're moving up. Amen. You're not sitting still. You're not staying still. Hallelujah. Let's go to, verse, let's go to Proverbs chapter 25, verse number 2. Proverbs 25, verse number 2. Are you there? says, it is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you, and we thank you, Lord, for your presence and your power in this place. Father, I thank you, Lord, for keeping your hand, Lord, upon our lives. Lord, you see little Tanner in, in August, Lord. I thank you for keeping your hands upon little Aiden. Heavenly Father, we know that all things work together for the good to those who love the Lord. And tonight we know your hand is upon them in, in, in that hospital right now. Heavenly Father, you're working out things, Lord. You're moving things. Uh, things are taking shape. Things are happening. Uh, and Father, in this house tonight, we just give you praise. Uh, we have another opportunity to come into this house and to worship you and we ask you heavenly father lord that you would move in this house tonight and you would touch lives in jesus name everybody said amen you may be seated hallelujah praise god if you want to turn with me to first chronicles chapter 11 verse number 22 amen first chronicles chapter 11 verse number 22 this is, uh, this is a story of David. The Bible said that David had 30 mighty men. And out of 30 mighty men, there was three that was, that was very powerful men. And one of them was Benaiah. And it says in verse number 22, Benaiah was the son of Jodadiah, the son of a valiant man from Kabzil, who had many deeds. He had killed two lion-like heroes of Moab. He also had gone down and killed a lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day. And he, and he killed an Egyptian, a man of great height, five cubits tall. That's about seven foot tall. Five cubits tall 
In the Egyptian's hand, there was a spear like a weaver's beam, and he went down to him with a staff, wrestled the spear out of the Egyptian's hand, and killed him with his own spear. These things Benaiah the son of Jodadiah did, and won a name among three mighty men. Praise God. Hallelujah. When we... Uh, talk about this story. I'm going to do a little teaching here tonight, but I want to talk about this story because I found something in here that I hadn't seen uh, in in some time as I began to, to read this. When we began to talk about the three mighty men in David's army, there was only three. Out of 30 men, there was only three to become the three mighty men. And and, and this man by the name of Benaiah was a man, not only was he great and mighty, but first of all, we pick up, or I did, I always picked up on Benaiah, went out, and he killed a lion in a pit on a snowy day. Look at your neighbor and say, that's tough. Amen. They say that a lion has the power with his paw. He has the power that when he hits you in the head, that he could break your skull. They say that a lion has enough power in his jaw that when he latches a hold of even the biggest bone in your body, he could rip through that bone just with his just by biting. And not only that, but when you think about that, you think about, okay, hang on just a minute. This dude went down and got in a pit with a lion. First of all, if I'm ever going to fight a lion, I need an open field. I don't need to be in a pit. And not only that, but it was in a snowy day so that shows me that he wasn't able to hardly stand up because it was slippery. And so, and so when I began to search these things out, I found out as I began to search today, and I did a lot of uh, 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 just searching today, the, the Bible says that, that he fought two lion-like men. Not only did he fight a lion, but he fought two lion-like men that was from Moab. And... Uh, the, the uh, King James Version uh, explains it a little bit better, and it says that he fought two aerial lion-like men. And that word aerial, uh, in the Hebrew, when they begin to bring it out in the Hebrew, it means lion. And so they thought, okay, this is a lion-like man, so they're trying to translate it so we can understand it. So they said they was two lion-like men, and so it doesn't mean that he was half human and half lion. But what it means was, was these men was big enough and bad enough to take on a lion themselves. And so when we read this story, there's three significant things inside of here. And, amen. And, and, and the Bible says that these men was from Moab. And when you trace Moab all the way back in the Bible, you find them in Genesis. And Moab in Genesis, the Bible said that when Noah finally found land, that he got on the land, and, and we read the story where Noah got drunk on the wine. He went in and slept with two of his daughters, and and so and 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 so one of them was Moab, and that's where the the land of Moab come from. And Moab was a land that sat right on the borders of Israel. And here's the thing about it. Moab sat right on the borders of, 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 of Israel, so, so they was really close to Israel. And when I got to looking at it, I realized that Moab means flesh. Look at your neighbor and say flesh. So the first battle he's fighting is, is with his flesh. How many knows you can't ever get rid of flesh? I don't care how much you pray. 
I don't care how much you sanctify your mind, that flesh is always going to come up on you. And you're always in a battle with it, and you're always trying to contend with it. And, and, and when you get into a place sometimes, and, and uh, some people says it like this, man, I just need to get back in church. I, I, just, I just need to get back in church. And really what they're saying is, man, I'm doing things I shouldn't be doing. I'm saying things I shouldn't be saying. I'm, I'm a part of things that I shouldn't be a part of because I let my flesh begin to come up. And here's the thing. When we start fighting against flesh, here's the uh, deal of it. When we start fighting against our flesh, we will never win if Christ isn't stronger than the flesh. And I can assure you this, that two church services a week is not going to make you strong. There's got to be something poured into your life every single day. There's got to be scripture. There's got to be power. There's got to be glory. There's got to be praying. There's got to be submitting yourselves to God every single day of your life. Because if you're not, what happens is, is your flesh is, your, your flesh is like that kinfolk that lives in the back room. that always likes to come up and always likes to take stuff or always likes to get stuff or always likes to just ruin your day. And flesh is that, 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 that kin because, because Moab was actually kin to Israel, but because of what had happened with Noah, they were separated and they lived on the border. Listen to me. They lived on the border of Israel and they become an enemy of Israel all of their lives. Israel was always fighting against them every step of the way. And the thing about it is, is your flesh will always raise up. Even when you're strong, your flesh likes to raise up. And the thing about it is, is this is about, when I've seen this, uh, this is about the God is showing us that not only did he go down and just defeat a lion, but he defeated two, two men of Moab, which is the flesh. And I'm telling you right now, church, uh, there's one thing that we got to get under control in our minds uh, and in our hearts uh, is that Jesus Christ is a soon coming king. Uh, and it is no place uh, uh, to sit and slack uh, and not do anything about it. But the Bible says uh, that we should look up, uh, that our redemption draweth now that God is coming back and he's coming back soon and he's pulling us out but until he does we're going to have to contend with flesh every single day of our lives we're going to have to get our spirit man in check and get the flesh man down see flesh likes to lie no none of y'all do but anyway flesh likes to likes to uh Overrule. Flesh likes to be lazy. Flesh likes to, well, I don't want to pray. I got to watch my show. Flesh likes to, well, I should be fasting, but man, that, that cheeseburger down there at Bob's Grill sounds good. And it's greasy. See, flesh likes to rise up in all of those times uh, when God is trying to get us. The Bible says it like this. If you walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Listen to me. Galatians tells us, if you walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I was raised up in southeast Oklahoma. In southeast Oklahoma, they have these uh, <coughs> big yard roosters. Anybody ever seen one of those big yard roosters? My grandpa had this big yard rooster. It was white, and it was the meanest rooster around. And not only that, but he'd take a little stake and he'd drive it into the ground and he'd take some uh, yarn and he'd tie around that yard rooster and tie it to that stake. 
And so, and, and so I was scared to death of that yard rooster until one day it, it come after me. I took off running, and it run as long as that rope would let him, and it just stopped. I thought, oh, hang on just a minute. I'm going to have some fun today. And so I'd go up, and I'd pester that little yard, that yard rooster. Well, I mean, I, I wasn't very big like that. And, and so when I would uh, come over to Papa's house, I'd always uh, pester that yard. And, I mean, it was mean. It would jump up and flog you and run me. And, I mean, I would scream until I found out that something had a hold of it. And then years later, my dad was preaching messages one time, and he said it like this. Uh, he, said, he said, if you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Uh, he said, because, because the lust of your flesh is like an old yard rooster that's staked out to a stake, uh, and it can't get no further. And here's the thing about it is that when we begin to walk with God and we begin to figure out what our callings is, because every one of you in here, you have a calling. You have a calling that is higher and greater than what you can see. But what happens sometimes is your career gets involved, uh, your children gets involved, uh, things gets involved, bills gets involved. Come on, somebody. All the pressures in life gets involved. Uh, and then there's all these sicknesses and illness and, and all these things sometimes that gets involved uh, that brings us to a place where we cannot see exactly where God wants us to be. And, and I'm telling you right now, whoever's listening to me, maybe you're sitting at home tonight. Maybe there's something going on in your life right now, and all this is is a distraction. The enemy is trying to get you off of your calling and who you are called to be. He's trying to get your attention on your problem, and that's your flesh. Let me tell you something. When you got born again, your flesh now died, and now we call the flesh the old man, and we call now born in Christ the new man, and when the new man man rose up, the old man had to die. The old man never died until the new man rose up. And when the new man rose up, the old man died. But that old man likes to resurrect. He likes to come up on times of your life and he likes to just, I mean, look like he's graveyard dead. Then all of a sudden he just, I don't know about y'all, but I used to watch wrestling. Anybody watch wrestling? <laughs> you love it. Praise God. There was a wrestler on there called The Undertaker. Anybody know who I'm talking about? The Undertaker. Oh, come on now. WWE. Undertaker. And he'd get in that ring, and all of a sudden, they'd hit him, and he'd just fall down and just be like he's dead. And all of a sudden, you hear this music. Boom. Boom. he go. And then he would just raise up. And everybody knew that The Undertaker was, listen, that's what the enemy likes to do. Your flesh. The Bible said that he was a great mighty man and he went down and the Bible said that Benai he fought, he fought two lion-like men from Moab. He fought two lion-like men from Moab. Your flesh is big. Let me tell you something right now. There's nothing any bigger than your life right now than your flesh. Well, preacher, you just don't know. I, 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 I need to get paid. I ain't got no money. The Bible says that God will supply all my need according to his riches and glory. You have a leg to stand on. And the Bible says that God watches over his word to perform it. And if God said that in his word, your biggest enemy right now is your flesh trying to get you to doubt God. Anybody ever hear God say something? And then you think, oh, I don't know. And then somebody says, oh, you doubted God. Oh, God don't like you because you doubted him. But the Bible says when you doubt in your heart, 
Listen, not in your mind, because you're going to deal with a lot of things in your mind. My daddy also, also told me, he said, the enemy, you can't stop the birds from flying over your head, but you can stop them from building a nest on top of your head. So you can't stop the, 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 the darts or what the enemy's saying that comes into your mind. Oh, I ain't going to make it. Oh, I ain't going to make it this month. I don't know if I can do this. Praise God, I was sitting there thinking today when I was trying to put two granddaughters to sleep. Listen to me. Grandpas are not made to keep grandkids more than three days. I'm telling you right now, they're just, they're just not meant to do that. So I was doing a little bit of studying, then I took them in there and laid them down, and, 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 and I, I had an eye on this end, and I had a tar on this end. And they was both saying, I want to watch the movie. I said, okay, we'll watch the movie for a little bit. We watched this movie, and I about fell asleep. And then I feel all this moving around going, I said, okay, listen, girls, you got to go to bed. You got to go to bed. You got to go to sleep. And so I'm going through this over and over and over. And in my mind, I was thinking, what in the world? Who can I pawn these off on tomorrow? Which other grandpa's crazy enough to say, oh, them cute little girls? <laughs> but what happens is, is the enemy comes against your life and he puts a lot of things in your life. He wants you to look at a place in your life and tell you you will never make it. He wants to tell you this is the end of it. He wants to tell you you'll never make it past this. He wants to tell you that that disease is going to take you out and you can never get past it. But the Bible says in 1 John 5 and 14, and this is the confidence that we have in him, that whatever we ask in his name, he will do it. And so when you ask in the name of Jesus, come on, somebody, there ain't no begging God. There ain't no falling down and saying, well, if I do this good for three days, I listen, the blood already moved on your behalf. And the Bible said that God died until cancer was healed. God died until diabetes was healed. God died until all those diseases and 39 stripes upon his back. I'm here to tell you right now, you are living, breathing proof that my God is alive and well. And when you have to deal with the flesh, it'll wear you out. You'll start thinking, I'm never good enough. You'll start thinking, well, I can't never get past this. But let me tell you something right now. You have the power over the flesh. He goes down and fights three lion-like men. Bring my scripture up, please. Fights three lion-like men of Moab. First Chronicles. Benai was the son of Jodai, the son of a valiant man from Kabzil, who had done many deeds. He had killed two lion-like heroes of Moab. He also went down and killed a lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day. Now, listen to me. I know we talk about Jesus being the lamb and the lion, but we also know that Peter references the devil as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Now, I know you may be thinking that right now your biggest battle right now is the devil. I mean, I know you come to church, you say, oh, preacher, pray for me because the devil made me do it. <laughs> and the thing about it is, 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 is Satan never made you do it. He just put a thought in your mind and then your flesh rose up and thought, ooh, I like to do that. And so here's the thing. Not only did he defeat the flesh, but now he's defeating the devil. 
And the thing about it is, is really honestly, we never really have to contend. Listen to me. I need somebody to hear me. We really never actually have to contend with the devil because he's already been warped. Now we are walking in delegated authority. That is the thing that Jesus said, go and tell him I said. That's delegated authority. Uh, authority. So, so, uh, so it's like I tell Mike, okay, Mike, when church is over with, I want you to go down to Dairy Queen and get me an ice cream. So Mike says, okay. So he leaves out and he goes down to Dairy Queen. He says, hey, I want to get ice cream for Roger Brown. They said, who told you to do that? And he says, Roger Brown. That's, listen, that's delegated authority. The Bible says Jesus said this. He said, I give you every power over, I give you power over every power of the serpents. You shall walk upon them. You shall, listen to that. Hang on just a minute. I don't handle no snakes in here. I'm not a snake handling church. I don't go, I don't go for, try to find me some rattlesnakes and hold them up. Amen. The Bible says, I shall walk upon serpents and upon scorpions. And when it says serpents, listen to me, it's talking about the poison of what somebody would say to you. It's talking about the sting of the scorpions that would sting you because somebody betrayed you or talked to you behind your back. And I'm telling you, if you went to church long enough, you know what I'm talking about. Church gossip is sometimes one of the toughest things to ever get over. I mean, somebody down the road that you don't even know, they can say the meanest things in the world to you, and you're just like looking at them. Sticks and stones may break my bone. Let somebody you go to church with do that, and the first thing you think of is, oh, I don't know if I can ever go back to church. You know, there's a lot of people sitting at home, and this is what they say. Well, I don't go to church because ain't nothing but a bunch of hypocrites. Bunch of hypocrites. That's all they want to do is talk about people and lie on you, and they say they love you, and they don't listen to me. That's that's the enemy sowing a seed in your flesh and telling you that. And the thing about it is, is, is that's what Jesus gives us the power over, and the enemy is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He wants to devour you at any cost. He does not want you to believe what you're praying about. Uh-oh. Did you know that when you pray and you believe it, it's going to happen? Did you know when you pray and you believe it, it's going to happen? When you pray and you believe it, it's going to happen. Here's the thing. The enemy wants you to pray and then turn right around and doubt it. You know what he wants you to doubt it? By what you said on Facebook. Uh-oh. What happened? He won't say, well, you ain't really that good of a Christian. You know, you could have handled that a whole lot better. When, when Miss Blattermouth said something to you, you should have walked out. But you didn't. You turned around and give her a piece of your mind. And now you want to try to praise God with the same mouth that you did. Come on, somebody. And that's what he's using against you to try to stop you in your tracks. But here's the, here's the whole key to everything is when you completely come underneath the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm not saying that grace is slippery and sloppery and say whatever you want to. But at the moment that you walked into a weakness, just stop and say, Lord, forgive me for opening up my big mouth. I should have never been a part of that. I should have walked away. But my flesh got the biggest part of me. And once you begin to walk in that lifestyle, it won't be long and Sister Blabbermouth will come up and say something to you and he'll say, well, praise God, Sister, I'm praying for you. Yeah. <laughs> See, because here's the thing. 
When you get saved, you're not super Christian overnight. But your faith begins to pull you in closer and closer and closer to God. And when you start facing challenges in your life, it's not because God has forgot you. It's not because God says, well, they're not important enough. It's because God says there's another level. Come on. Come on. If you defeat this and you're going to another level. And let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Another level is a bigger level. That's why some Christians say, I'll just stay on this level. I figured this devil out. I'm all right. But if I go to another level, then that means there's a bigger devil and a meaner devil. And so now I've got to fight even harder. That's why there's a lot of Christians. They're just okay with being mediocre. Come on, somebody. We don't need another church that's mediocre. We don't need another generation that's mediocre. We are trying to raise our children up and our grandchildren in this generation now that's even lost the art of wanting to get out and find a job and work and hold down a job and have morals. It's time that the church become the forerunner of who we are in Christ and stand up and tell the world, hey, this is how you do it. You don't do it by running around holding up a sign and saying this. You do it by standing in the middle of the gap while everything else is falling apart, you stand up and say, but my God will bring me through it. <laughs> See, the enemy's biggest deal is when Jesus was crucified and they brought him down from the cross, they laid him in the grave. Three days later, the Bible said that the same spirit the resurrected Jesus Christ is the same spirit that's living in you that you got saved by. So the power of God resurrected Jesus. So when Jesus got up out of the grave, the Bible said that when he got up, the Bible said that over 500, listen to me, there was so much power that when God said, get up, there was so much power that 500 graves opened up, listen to me, dead men that had been dead for years, 50 years, 100 years, got up, and somebody says, I thought you were dead. They said, I don't know what happened to me. I just heard somebody say, get up, so I did. Jesus began to walk around. He began to minister. He began to tell them where to go and what to do. Satan was going frantic, going crazy, trying to figure out how in the world to stop it. One of his little imps said, man, let's just tell him that Jesus was fake. Man, we can't do that. Why? Man, he, he, he's opened up blind eyes. I mean, he walked up to Lazarus' grave and said, Lazarus, come forth, and he got up. He, he, he has healed lepers. He has called lame men to walk. There was one man sitting in church with a withered hand, born with a withered hand, and Jesus says, stretch forth your hand, and he did, and all of a sudden, his withered hand just turned into a, a hand that was normal. We can't tell them that. They have witnessed too many things. Well, well, let's tell them that somebody stole the body. We don't know where he's at. I said, we can't do that. Why? He's been walking around Jerusalem talking to everybody. He's been introducing himself back into his disciples. And one time, one of them said they went in because it was COVID-19 and had a lockdown. Said he couldn't get indoors, so he just walked through the walls. Come on, somebody. That's what the book of Luke says. 
that when he went in, his disciples had gathered up trying to figure out what they're going to do. And he knocked on the door and they said, oh, it might be the Roman soldiers. Jesus had said, whoo, piggy boo. One of them said, I know. Let's tell them that Jesus was the son of God. Let's tell them that he did die on the cross. Let's tell them that, yes, he did resurrect. But let's just tell them they all have plenty of time. One of the biggest lies that the devil has told the church is you got plenty of time. Do what you want. Go to church when you feel like it. Pray when you want to. You got plenty of time. Some of you sitting in here right now has faced challenges, and it's like you ain't got enough time. The doctors even looked at you in the eyeballs and told you, well, we don't know if you will. You may not. Listen, some of you understand you really don't have plenty of time, but the church is sitting around playing games for long enough that they think that they got plenty of time. They can get it right when they want to or when they feel like it. That's the flesh, and that's the enemy. The next one, just, just leave my scripture up there, would you please? The next one says, and then he killed an Egyptian, a man of great height, five cubits tall. In the Egyptian's hand, there was a spear like a weaver's beam, and he went down to him with a staff, wrestled the spear out of the Egyptian's hand, and killed him with his own spear. These things Ben and I, the son of Joadiah, did and won a name among the three mighty names. The last point I want to get, Egypt, it means the world. Back in those days, Egypt had everything, everything you could ever imagine. Everybody looked to Egypt at that time because Egypt had everything on the forefront. They had the greatest army. They had all the greatest inventions and everything that was going. People still today are looking at Egypt and thinking, how in the world did they build them pyramids? How in the world did they take a man that was dead and put him and make him mummify so that he could still be there for 400, 500,000, 1,500 years? They were so in their mind. They had so much knowledge. And so anytime that you read Egypt, the Bible said that, that, that Moses heard from God and God went into Egypt and delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt into the promised land. So in other words, he said he brought them out of the world and into a spiritual place so they could live forever and live with God. And the Bible said that he fought an Egyptian. So, 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 so not only did he beat the flesh, not only did he beat the devil, but he also so beat the cares of the world. Somebody hear me. Somebody hear me. There's been a lot of struggle probably in the last few months or a few weeks or a few days. And you're trying to figure out how in the world did I, do I get over this? Let me tell you something. My daddy told me a long time ago, this is what he told me, and I grabbed a hold of it. He said, Brother Roger, he used to call me Brother Roger. Brother Roger, if you can ever read it in the Bible, it's yours. Listen to me. It's a promise to you. If you ever read it in the Bible, it's a promise that's yours. That means you can have it. Somebody told me one time, they said, I don't know, you know, it's just going to take a miracle of God. I, I'm, I'm behind on my taxes. And the IRS, man, they're going to come after and take everything I got. I said, let's pray about it and God will heal. Oh, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I said, well, it's in the Bible. Uh, where? 
I said, well, the Bible said Peter walked down because he had to pay his taxes, and he reached into a fish's mouth, and he pulled out a coin. And Jesus said, now, go pay your taxes. Come on, somebody. Well, I don't know. I, I, I don't, listen to me. The enemy's coming fast at you hard. Life Changes Church, there is a place where God is trying to get you to. There's a place he's trying to get your mind to. And there are things that you're going to battle. And the three things that you're going to battle, which is the hardest, is your flesh and the devil and the cares of the world. I'm telling you what, the cares of the world is big. I mean, it'll bring you down. Man, it'll get you to that place. All of a sudden, the world's doing this and the world's doing that. And I want to look like the world. I want to act like the world. I want to be like the world. Why can't I go to church and be cool? <laughs> Why can't I go to church and just be a cool person? Let me tell you something. You can be cool if you want to be cool. I ain't got a problem being cool. Matter of fact, I'm cool. But when you get caught up on where the world is going, before you know it, if the church is full of worldliness and worldly thoughts and worldly attributes, here's the thing, what's going to happen is you're just going to be a church that's just connected with what the world is. But when you start getting connected where the spirit of God is, when you start getting connected to what heaven's wanting to do, here's what's going to happen. is people's lives are going to change. Here's what's going to happen. is chains are going to break off of their life. Here's what's going to happen. is people are going to be healed when the doctor says, I don't know if you're going to make it. When the doctor says, well, you're going to have to take this medicine and you're going to have to do this. And if you don't, then you might not make it. Here's what's going to happen is the church is going to start getting healed again. Come on, somebody. The church is going to start walking and healing again. The power of God is going to move again. Come on, somebody. The dead, the dead are going to raise up again. I believe there's a revival that is coming to the world. It is coming to, to the United States of America in such an impact, in such a place that when God begins to move, then everybody's going to hear what the church is doing. They're going to hear what the church is doing. Pastor Randy, come piano, please. Years ago, <coughs> I say years ago, this is probably in about 1961 or 1962, somewhere along in there. <coughs> there was an evangelist by the name of Oral Roberts. Anybody ever heard of Oral Roberts? I went to school at Atoka High School in Atoka, Oklahoma. And back there, back there, they still have all the pictures of all the seniors that ever graduated from there. And Oral Roberts actually graduated from Atoka, Oklahoma. And it has this picture up here. And I remember going there one day and I was looking through it and I said, man, there's Oral Roberts. And everybody's like, who's Oral Roberts? I'm like, man, y'all don't know who Oral Roberts is? I mean, he was one of the, the greatest healing evangelists this nation had ever seen. Listen, he was one of the first preachers to sit on television worldwide and people lined up and he, he prayed for people so long they had to get him a chair and he would sit down in the chair and he would lay his hands and blind people. The, the, I'm telling you, he was the first televangelist to actually watch it on TV and see a blind person get healed. Before then, the church was praying. All of a sudden, people started seeing it. Listen to me. They started seeing it. Somebody says, well, you have to see to believe. Well, our faith actually doesn't say that. 
But the world likes to see it to believe it. So God said, I'm going to turn it to the world. And I'm going to let the world see it. Noel Roberts began to travel and preach underneath tents. And he preached throughout America. And people's lives was getting healed. I'm talking diseases was leaving. R.W. Shambaugh. Anybody ever remember R.W. Shambaugh? One of the greatest revivalists of all time too. His father-in-law was actually A.A. Allen. Anybody ever hear A.A. Allen? Y'all can look some of them up if you haven't. A.A. Allen was a man that traveled with a tent and preached. Matter of fact, my grandmother was in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And she told her family all the time, she said, if I ever die, I want to die in church, raising my hands and praising God. One day she went to a revival in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and raised her hand, was praising God, and fell over dead. Screaming went on. People come running over, and they was, they was trying to shake her. They said, come here. Come here, A.A. Allen. Come here. She's dead. And he walked over, and he knelt down, and when he did, he got up, and he said, there's nothing I can do with it. The Lord's took her own. True story. They questioned him. You've laid your hands on dead people, and they raised. Why not? He said, you have to take that one up with the Lord. Seriously, that's a true story. R.W. Shambach married A.A. Allen's daughter, and he began to travel with a tent. And he had traveled and preached. And one time, he was preaching. And over in the book of Acts, the Bible said that the apostle Paul, he took little, little handkerchiefs and little pieces of thread, and he took them out, and he put them upon his garment, and he preached. When he got done preaching, he stood out, and he said, Now, this is the anointing of God that is on these cloths. That's why we use prayer cloths today, because it's biblical. He said, that is anointing of God upon these claws. And he sent them to people and they took them home. And when they took them home, evil spirits left and people was getting healed just by the claws. Listen, listen, the cloth had no power. It was just a point of contact. And R.W. Shambach stood up one time and he was preaching. While he was preaching, he had a prayer line. He was handing out prayer claws and people was getting them. He come up to this one lady, hand out prayer claws. She said, oh, I don't need one of those. He said, well, what are you in my line for? And she said, pray over these M&Ms. He said, what? She said, yeah, my husband's lost, and he likes to sit in the den every Saturday and watch college football. She said, I want to give him these M&Ms. He likes to eat M&Ms. He said, I want you to pray over these M&Ms. She said, because I want him to sit, and I want God to save his soul. He said, okay. He ignored and prayed. About two weeks later, praise God, because he didn't have Facebook or Instagram. They had to actually write him a letter. And they wrote him a letter. Two weeks later, he received it. And, and, and he, in this letter, the lady said, you won't believe this. I took the M&Ms back. See, my husband puts them in the bowl. She said, I opened them up and just dumped them in that bowl. She said, I didn't know when he's going to get a hold of one them or when he wasn't. She said, but the moment I knew that he did, she said, I was in there washing dishes and I heard him scream. And she said, this wasn't a scream that somebody scored a touchdown because I know that scream. She said, I come running in there and he was knelt down at his lazy boy. I said, honey, what's going on? And he said, I just realized I'm lost and I need a savior. Come on, somebody and give his life to the Lord sitting right there in his front room. I'm telling you right now, the enemy is trying to get your mind on your flesh. He's trying to get your mind on the world. And he's trying to get your mind on the devil. But God has given you power over all three of those. You are a supernatural being. Listen to me. You'll never die. You will always live.
you will always have victory. You might have to fight a few battles, but the war has already been promised to you. You may have to go through things in your life and you may have to sit down at a time and you may have to rethink some things and the enemy may come into your mind and tell you, well, you ain't saved enough to get over this. Well, you ain't been going to church long enough. Well, you know what? You've been out of church and now that you're in trouble, you want God to do something. And the devil will come to your mind and tell you that I need I need to tell somebody this. listen to me tonight. The devil is a lie because when God said that he gave his life for the whole world, he didn't give it to those who was super Christian. He gave it to those that said, I need Jesus. When you come to that place in your mind, you have the power over flesh. You have power over the world. And you got power over Satan. God has given you that power in your life. You walk with authority. The places in your life that you're struggling with, keep struggling. Don't give up and die. Struggle with it. You know what that means? That means that there's a living, breathing person inside of you that you're not just going to roll over and let the enemy take your life and just let him destroy you. Keep struggling. Well, pastor, how much longer I got to struggle? That's not up to me. See, if it was up to me because I started lifting weights not long ago, you know, because I wonder. So I lifted weights for about a week and I noticed it. Woo! I thought, yeah. And some said, well, how strong do you want to be? Oh, I'm strong enough. So listen to me. And I had to struggle and be sore. So I had to decide, do I want to keep being sore and keep, or, or do I want to stop right now? Listen, listen, listen. The struggle that's going on in your life is because there's something big. And I need to tell somebody right now, once you overcome this struggle, there's going to be another one come. Do not think for one second that, 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 that God is just going to poof, just finish you and you're perfect. That's it. I ain't got to do no more work on Linda. She's done. He's working on her. He's working on you. He's working on your life. Don't get down and out. Get strong and courageous. Step into a pit on a snowy day and defeat the devil. Now I read you that very first verse because God does not explain how he does any of that. He doesn't tell you what he done. He just said that he done it. So it's us to search out a matter. It's for us to figure out because everybody on your own level, you got your own battles. And I'll tell you right now, and I'm coming to a close, the biggest battle that you got right now is that personal struggle. Them thoughts that nobody else gets to hear but you. Them things that come into your mind that your best friend don't know, your husband don't know, your wife don't know, your pastor don't know, your church don't know, those private struggles that you struggle with every day in your mind. That's what the enemy's trying to bring you down with. But I got some good news for you. The Bible says, let this mind that was in Christ Jesus be in you. 
One last thought. One last thought. And I'm, when you got saved, it was your soulless realm that got saved. Now, I know we teach and we tell everybody Jesus comes to the heart. He changes a man's heart, but he doesn't. He doesn't come into your heart. If he come into your heart, that means that when you went to surgery, the the operate the the, the the surgeon could open you up and remove Jesus out of your life. There's no man big enough to ever do that. You know when a person gets saved, the Bible says that when they when they change their mind, your soulless realm, your mind, your will, and your emotions. When your soul is rim, your mind, and that's why the enemy's fighting your mind so much. Because that's where you know you're saved. He's trying to make you think that you're not. Before you know it, we get weak. And we quit trying. Everybody, every head bowed, nobody looking around. Just for a minute. Give me just a minute. Hallelujah, Jesus.